Hello everyone and welcome back to the Just Interesting People podcast. My name is Rosie and I'm here with my co-host and husband Jeremy as always. Today we are talking to Fabio. Fabio is a famous DJ in Miami known as Dude Skywalker. In this episode we talk about his first steps into entrepreneurship after graduating from college and then learning how to DJ and eventually how DJing became his career. Uh, Stay tuned until the end of the show to know where the name Dude Skywalker is coming from. Uh, Hint, it's not after Star Wars. (laughs) So yeah, enjoy the show. What's up, Fabio? (laughs) What's up, Jeremy? Thanks for being here, man. We appreciate you taking the time to record with us. I'm super happy to be here. Right, so we're back recording. We took a little break. Like You didn't notice that, guys, but we didn't record an episode for like a month and a half now. <laughs> we're now in France recording from my old bedroom, <laughs> my child bedroom, changing things a little bit. Um, but yeah, thank you, Fabio, for taking the time. Um, we met a couple of years ago through Daybreaker. You are the, you're the main DJ of Daybreaker in Miami, and you are also with Jojo, uh, the organizer, the producer of all those amazing events that we miss dearly. Yeah, so much. <laughs> uh, you are also a DJ, apart from Daybreaker, you also DJ on a pretty regular basis. Um, so yeah, let's let's talk about all that. Also, your new hobby, para motor ing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna get it right before the end. <laughs> um, but yeah, maybe let's start with the basic. Let us know, like, where are you from? Where did you grow up? All right. Well, my name is Fabio Galarza, and I am from Miami, Florida. I grew up in Kendall, which is a <laughs> suburb out west. It's Miami's a big place, so I grew up in the suburbs. And um, mother's Cuban, and my dad's from Chile, which basically the only thing they have in common is Spanish. Culturally, they're very different, you know, the Caribbean and the Andes culture. Um, And yeah, I basically grew up in Miami and I went to school in Tallahassee at FSU and spent some amazing years there. I guess that's where you could say I picked up my my knack for partying. At the time, it was like the number one party school in the country. And that's actually like the number one reason why I wanted to go. (laughs) And... And uh, and then after after university, I, I lived in in Manhattan for about a year, mm. doing marketing for a law firm. And um, one day I went in, I was like supposed to get a, a raise. I was like, I went into this meeting thinking I was gonna get a raise, and I got laid off. And I was like, okay, great. So I like did my own like independent marketing thing in New York for a little bit, and then I came back to Miami, and I've been here ever since. And like. Honestly, I'm very proud to be from Miami, especially now, like with everything going on. I think it's a super special place. Um, I've traveled quite a bit, not everywhere, but I've traveled quite (laughs) a bit. And like, um, there's just something about Miami that like you can't really get anywhere else. Oh, yeah. We completely agree agree with that. (laughs) So I'm I'm very, very proud to be from Miami, represent this place. I didn't know that you worked in marketing for a law firm. And I, I've got to say, I don't, I, I'm trying to picture you right now with like the suit and tie working in this kind of corporate environment. I really struggle with this image in my head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so I studied, well, in undergrad, I studied entrepreneurship and small business management. So like it was always my thing to be like self 
you know, run my own thing and be self-made. And, um, and then for grad school, um, I got my MBA in marketing and finance. So basically right, right after I got out of graduate school, I was expecting like a big high paying job, you know, and, um, the market was like, that was like when the market crashed 2007, 2009, around there, 2009. And, um, yeah, I was like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to teach myself some stuff. So I realized that there was a big gap in internet marketing. There was no, no internet marketing really in, in all the business school that I learned. So me and a friend went to Barnes and Noble every day, and we just mm-hmm. got every single web design book. And I started there, I started with web design, started building my own websites. And then when you start building websites, you start getting clients, and then you realize like, oh, these clients need all sorts of marketing. So that's actually stuff that I'm good at. And then kind of turn it into like my own internet marketing company, specializing in like local stuff. And I ran some websites like selling fruit from Homestead all over the U S <laughs> like I sold, I sold fruit to like 42 States. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, and then, um, and then I got a job offer from this, this law firm in New York that was looking for someone who, needed to basically redo their website and um, and do their internet marketing. And they do like mass torts. So I was like chasing people who were like, had a needed, a, had a defective hip and like, they're looking on Google, like, Oh, how do I, you know, get some legal recourse for yeah. my defective hip and who do I sue and all that. So it was fun. I had my own office. Empire state building was behind me. I got seamless Sweet. breakfast and lunch every day. So, <laughs> It was cool. It was cool. I was in my early twenties and I, I, you know, the whole cliche, I, I love New York. I really do love New York. I I see it as a place where I want to spend a lot of time as well. Um, but I told myself when I left that, like, when I come back, I'm going to come back like way stronger. Like it'll be something different, you know? Um, because back then I had, I still was like beholden to a, a work schedule and Right. Law firms like clock in and they count like every 15 minutes that you're on the clock and stuff. It was not my thing. So it was yeah, kind of a blessing. But did you enjoy this kind of environment? I mean, so different than what you're doing right now. Like so, 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 so different. <laughs> yeah, actually, I I enjoyed it, but it was not like there was still a, uh, like a creative factor there. Right. And I enjoyed the you know the time because i was still learning a lot and i and it was a, a an amazing opportunity for me i was getting i was getting paid well um so i enjoyed all those things but at the end of the day like there was a glass ceiling there and it was like i said it was kind of a blessing that they let me go before i you know was facing too much of that pressure of like right being frustrated at that ceiling you know because i wasn't really going to get any higher in that yeah. chain than where i was makes sense know? i was like the director of marketing for the whole firm so it was like it was cool um but you know and then i had no idea i was going to get into music when i was in that state i was like totally just um all about marketing and mm-hmm. i like to party i would go to concerts every night with my coworkers and stuff so i was in party mode but and still very much about music, but I didn't, at that point in my life, I was not thinking about a music career. Yeah, about being on the other side. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But you've always been like a creative in a sense, I mean, apart from designing, because I mean, now you, you you produce music, so is that something that when you were a child, uh, you were always making things or I don't know? 
Yeah, I was always on the creative side, and and I mean, I guess I was made. I mean, I'm not gonna like diagnose myself, but maybe I had ADD <laughs> when I was younger because I was always that kid, like who would draw. I would draw all over my arms and all over my legs, like every single day when I was in elementary school. So there was always like some sort of like artistic output trying to come out, you know, from yeah. when I was younger, and um, I was very good at math, but I also liked arts, like all the arts, you know. So yeah. interesting. So then, how long were you? How long did you spend in New York in total, like with that job, and then also being self-employed? Just about a year, yeah. Okay. But almost, almost like a year to the day, almost. Like, mm. I was like eleven months and something. So. It so when you got so out. when you got laid off and and everything and you eventually came back to Miami, uh, did you have any plan? No, I didn't have a plan. <laughs> the plan was to was like, okay, I'm going to okay. So at that point, I realized, especially in New York, what I was trying to do was like localized internet marketing. So like restaurants and and retail shops that like have a brick and mortar footprint. Yeah. And at that time, like Google places was a big thing and like getting your Google listing. Right. So I went that direction with it. And I basically with my friends here in Miami, we, we went full force on trying to do local, local marketing essentially. Yeah. So dig, digital local marketing. Um, and that worked out very well. Um, actually DQ, Danny, who you've had on, on, on the podcast, was a, uh, one of our partners for a while. We actually oh. ran this this internet marketing company. It was me, my brother. I have a twin brother. So me, my twin brother, Alex, who's my partner in Dude Skywalker, and Danny. Um, we all, we would mm. basically offer here and in Hong Kong, because at the time, Danny was like, right, just yeah. come back from Asia. And he's like, oh, there's this huge demand for this in Asia. So we like had this like Miami, Hong Kong branding going you know where we service like international markets and that worked for a while and then you know more opportunities just started coming up and kind of things went you know and was he started traveling more and was alex into into music yeah so we were we were all into music uh, at, at that point um we had already started making music with our friend and you know the dude skywalker thing was kind of starting to take off but it was in no way, shape, or form paying any bills. So it was more like a passion project. And, you know, I guess where we're at right now is like a passion project that like literally had no end. There was no end determined. Mm -hmm. You know, like we went into it with like an, an indefinite run. Yeah. Just keep going and whatever comes next, get, get to it. There's no top of the hill, you yeah. know, or top of the mountain. Um, So eventually, you know, it went from DJing to, well, it went from like partying all the time at Bardo, this like super popular bar in Miami, which was known for like having crazy acts. And we were regulars there, like as patrons. And then we started making music and uh, David Sinopoli, who runs Three Points and is one of the space partners now, he, he basically gave us a shot. And was like, okay, you guys can DJ here. Mm. After he after he heard some of our music, and um, and then it went from DJing to basically hosting our own night. And when you start hosting your own night as like a you know producing the party or promoting the party, right. um, then then you start to 
um, turn it into something where you can actually like make a real living. It's either that or like being a huge artist, you know? Yeah. yeah. And since we weren't huge, it was just like, okay, well, we know a lot of people and we have a lot of friends and let's invite them to our party. And it kind of just took off from there. Interesting. And did you, I, I can understand I, the, the link between promoting and the whole marketing skills that you had because that's plus plus the connections but what about djing like did you just thought everything yourself like did you have a mentor how how did you go for that so the djing thing um well djed in in college as a hobby like i would wake up and i would have like a controller in my room and alex was a dj as well he kind of learned around the same time as me but he was in he was a freshman when i was in graduate school so he had more years to develop that in Tallahassee. Right. And then our first, our, like when we first started Dude Skywalker, there were three of us and my friend Sam, he was already like one of the best open format DJs in Tallahassee. So wow. he was the most experienced with, you know, performing in front of an audience and stuff. And <clears throat> for me, I kind of started like playing bongos and like percussion section and, um, Eventually, we we got offered to do an internet radio show, and that was when I was like, okay, well, this DJing thing, I need to like really get good at it because one, I need a lot of music. If every if every week I want my show to sound different, I yeah. can't play yeah. the same music. Yeah. So once I started doing that, like building my library of music, then I cared very much about how my mixes sound because I don't want to sound bad when it's recorded and being posted. Yeah. And, and then that just kind of like created this, this culture of like, you know, keep it fresh and keep it, you know, and then studying the, the craft of DJing and who are the best DJs, what makes them the best DJs, you know, learning tricks and watching and observing. But a lot of it was just, you know, getting thrown in the fire and like, okay, well, go have your first train wreck in front of a full club and then... <laughs> Then you'll never be scared of it anymore, you know? Yeah. I feel like that's often the best way to learn is just to go in the deep end and just figure it out and have to kind of like not really have a choice and yeah. be like, well, okay, I'm here now. I just got to do my this best and learn from it and figure out, you know, you know, learn for next time, I guess. Yeah. And, and for uh, like the first, I would say three or four years, like I would, you know, we were playing some big parties and like very reputable clubs. So they, they had a lot of trust in, in, and us being able to deliver a performance. Luckily, my friends were also very good DJs. So we had like this culture of like, mm. you know, open communication. Like if you mess up, like, oh, you messed up and this is how you can make it better. Don't make that yeah. mistake again, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, and then I would say like after three or four years at Bardo, then I would say that the pre-show nervousness kind of went away. And I, I don't really get that that much anymore. Even in like the biggest shows I've done, I like i kind of just like go in and i think that like that's kind of when you reach a level of professionalism where you where you you have that kind of confidence and like you understand also that if you make a mistake you're only human and and it's not the biggest deal you know you just press play on the next song (laughs) so it's like make sure it's a good one though um but i've definitely like back in the day i've cleared a room a couple times and you know you know it's the worst thing for a dj to do and you don't want to do it again so you really analyze why and um and yeah and i would say that throwing parties made me a better dj too much better Mm -hmm. dj i think it was maybe one of the most 
influential paradigm shifts in how I approached a night or a performance because like um especially when you're a young dj you you have this idea of like oh i'm the artist and like they they have to just accept my art mm -hmm. and at the end of the day like no like djing is uh it's a dance it's a two-way street it's a feedback loop and like yeah you want to you know especially in the underground you want to like show people stuff that they've never heard before but at the same time like you have to hook them somehow you have to get them right. on your team and make them be open-minded about what you're going to deliver for them and some sometimes like if you play two or three songs in a row that don't hit the target you can clear a room and there's a big quantifiable monetary loss by clearing that oh, room yeah. and yeah. when you're incentivized by the night the last thing you want is to clear the room you want yeah. people to keep dancing and keep consuming and you know so nice that really changed that really changed me as a dj made me a better dj like understanding that like by reading the room what you think what matters is is that the people are having fun and every room has a different or every crowd has a different interpretation of what fun is so mm. like having that situational awareness is a huge thing and i think it's like a big differentiator between djs who are new and djs who know what they're doing is it's that almost situational like awareness it's almost like you're providing a service for somebody as if like yeah. you're doing it for them rather than for your ego and because you you're good and you've got this new song whatever it's more about making sure they have fun and Absolutely. i've never really thought about it that way it's interesting how you kind of worded that and yeah it's more about the audience and them enjoying themselves and but like on, yeah. a, on, on the technical side of that um when you because you get a set you, you get ready for a set right you don't just improvise um so you mean that you have a set in mind, but at any time you, you're ready to make changes based on how you read the room? Yeah, well, every DJ approaches a night differently. I, um, I definitely prepare, um, but I don't go in with a set playlist. I have more of like a okay. bank of music, like a huge bank. And then I'll, so for example, I'll listen to in one month, I'll probably listen to one to 2000 songs, like skimming through and like, like if it hits me immediately then yeah. then i'll be like okay i'm gonna download this so out of those 2000 i'll download one to 200. so every month i'll have 100 to 200 fresh tracks then i'll after i've downloaded them i'll start listening through them and categorizing them by what the vibe the vibe is like oh okay so this is this is a lounge track or this yeah. is a techno track or this is a uh, dark this is happy you know and like I have different categories and then if there's a big party coming up i'll take that new music and i'll also drop it in like oh this could be good for for atv or this could be good for daybreaker so when daybreaker comes like you know two weeks from now i've spent the month dropping tracks that i think are appropriate for it so i've come prepared with the my paint brushes if you want to yeah. you know like yeah. whatever and the right colors and stuff um, but the entire performance is completely improvised. Like hmm. I don't think about anything when I'm like about to play other than the first song. So like, let's say there's another DJ before me, like I'll be listening to what they're playing and I'll be like, what could be a good first song? And, right. and then even, even then I'll get up and I'll be like, well, uh, that first song doesn't, isn't the right direction. So I'll just completely go another way, but, but it, it keeps it. For me, very, very fun and fresh when you play as much as we yeah. do. 
like if you play a, a, a pre-planned set um that gets very boring very quickly mm. you know i think what you're explaining as well has like needs a huge amount of confidence and a huge amount of skill to be oh, able yeah. to just have a thousand tracks and play whatever feels good in the moment where like i know for sure i would literally just press play and let the whole <laughs> thing go and not dare to go you know step out of my comfort zone and think actually it's not working i need to change it so having that like knowledge and i can't think of the right word yeah i mean the skills skills and, to be able know. to like pick out and be like no i need to change it. i need to switch it and this is going next and it's a huge amount of skills. It's yeah. funny because, like, for me, like, I had known nothing about DJ, so I just think you're literally there just, like, doing this and doing, like, the hand thing that people do with DJs and, like, just press play. And I don't know anything behind it. So it's interesting how you're talking about being, like, it's a performance. And, like, obviously I know you plan it, but it's, I don't know, it's interesting learning about it. It's not that easy. Yeah, yeah. In the, in the moment, I, like, in the moment, I try to be very, very intentional about what mm. I'm playing. But it's all very, again, it's all based on the situation. And also, like, because most of my performances are with my partner, Alex, there's a lot of nuance in the juxtaposition because 90% of the time, I don't know what he's going to play. I don't know. Like, I have no idea what he's going to play. Wow. You know, so he'll drop a track and then I'll be like, I'm looking at the room and seeing how the room reacted to that song. And then I'll say, okay, give him more of that or... A lot of times I like to do a juxtaposition. So like if a song that he's playing is extremely hard or dark, I'll go light and happy, you know, and the juxtaposition makes both songs sound more amplified in yeah. what they're doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that, that, that kind of can also throw some people off. Like if you could, if you do it wrong, like, oh, there's yeah. no cohesiveness. But if you can manage to bridge the mix with like a cohesive mix and have two different songs that are juxtaposed uh it's very very powerful technique in djing i've always wondered how that works like how can you dj with multiple people that i've, I've, I've never understood that because it yeah do you like, play like a song because there is or? like the, there is the technical side of it but also like you said the music like you know you might be in in the mood and you might be reading the room one way and I might be seeing something else mm. and it's like how how are we dealing with it like you don't you, don't, you can't talk <laughs> um so you you yeah, need to have like a chemistry like you need you you obviously yeah. know each other for years but at the beginning yeah, it's exactly. been tough it's it it's it's um it is all about chemistry it is it's all also about especially when you're dealing with like you know some of these DJs have like big egos and you know <laughs> yeah so like you see it, the most the the, the 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 most common way that it manifests itself when you see two djs djing that they've never played together and like they're clashing is like they'll cut each other's songs off mm -hmm. right like if you think of the arrangement of a song the best part is like three-fourths of the way in yeah right so if you see someone cut the other guy's song like or girl's song like in the middle and not let the main drop hit then you're like okay this guy's like clearly not even paying attention to what's going on yeah. and like yeah. but there's i would say the key is open communication and being and not taking offense to saying like hey you're going the wrong direction or i think we should go this way you know with the vibe and you know it's really hard to replicate that kind of chemistry um there's some djs in the city that like are really good at it and like are are used to playing with other djs so they're 
they have that skill, but hmm. a lot of times DJs that are ju either just learning or, or only play by themselves, they really have a hard time with that. And like yeah. you, you ask, like, oh, is it one and one or two and two? Like everyone has a different strategy. We play one and one so that we're both involved the entire yeah. time, you know? Yeah. Um, if you notice, like some DJs will play a couple songs and then the next guy will play a couple songs. It, 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 I don't like it because it, it doesn't let you like get into like a full flow and then you cut yourself off completely from the experience. Whereas if you're both doing one and one, you're both touching the mixer at the same time. You're both picking music at the same time. You're both like in it at the same time. And um, I, I don't know, I find it way more fun. Yeah. And you don't have time to disconnect in a sense. Like yeah. you, you have to stay in it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you have to know what's, yeah, you what's have coming to, up yeah, next. So yeah, so you, you have to pay attention, yeah. yeah. And I actually like DJing with friends more because mm. it's a, for me, it's all about the party, you know? And it's best to be with your friends, you know? So if you're commanding a rave with your friend, like, what's more fun than that? You know That's, what I mean? That's true. What's the biggest gig you ever done? The biggest gig I've ever done. Hmm. Well, biggest crowd was probably yeah. in Havana. In Havana, I played a, a festival in Havana on the beach, and there was like four or five thousand people. Wow. Uh, um, I've done some big shows with Daybreaker actually um, in New York. I did the the final. Well, it was like I think it might have been the last party ever at Irving Plaza. Mm -hmm. okay. um, I did uh, in D.C. I did the Burning Man uh, temple that they built in the Renwick Gallery. That was a great show. Um, I've had a lot of, of like really peak moments. Oh, actually, the best show I've ever done was with the New World Symphony. Oh, That's yeah. like the, that was the pinnacle of our of our performance career for sure. Like it's gonna be hard to top that. Yeah. Yeah, that was like full on orchestra. Wow, you know? that's special. That's a once in a lifetime kind of thing. Well, we, they invited mm. us back, so we did it twice. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but it was the only time. It was the only time my mom has ever gone to a show. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. That's so cool. Mm. So then when did, how did you get started with Daybreaker? Like, I know you're one of the first people to do it in Miami, but how did that even come about? How did you find them? And So I have um, a friend, his name is Enrique, and he had a partner that he DJed with, and his name is Austin, and he was doing... Um, he launched the first ever party in Miami and he ended up right after having to move to DC. And I, I had never been to a daybreaker, but because I was friends with Enrique, I saw like all the marketing for it. And I was like, wow, this is such a cool concept. Like, and at the time I was like very, very heavy in the, in the nightlife scene. And like, there's so much toxicity that I was like, this could be a great opportunity to like, provide a balance you know because as a as a dj and as someone who like you know like puts parties together for a living for a while you like at least me like i had that that question like am i really doing the right thing here am i like am i really fulfilling my ultimate purpose as a human being am I like is there more that i can do you know um and at the end of the day i really believe that people dance and gather at parties you know to cleanse their their souls like they our generation doesn't go to church religiously they go to the club religiously with their friends and, and you can make it an experience that's really not that much different than being in a gospel you know what i mean um so 
I was very like attracted to the concept of Daybreaker. Yeah. And when I reached out to my friend, he's like, hey, they're actually looking for a replacement, you know. And I was like, well, you know, sign up my info. I did some Zoom calls. I ended up going to New York and meeting the whole team. But I had DJed at a club in Manhattan till like 5 in the morning. And then I, they had a boat party. Daybreaker had a boat party. So I like basically stumbled <laughs> to this this boat party and i was so tired i like said hi to everyone and then i like went to sleep on the bow like no lie i like fell asleep <laughs> and then i was like hey guys don't mind me i'm just really tired and um and i guess they liked it and whatever we ended up um ended up onboarding me and i did a few events by myself um with um another producer who was part of the team and uh the chemistry just wasn't there and um eventually i told the the new york team like hey like i want to do something different i want to try it on my own i tried it on my own and then it like it, it's just like you know daybreakers too much to produce if you're gonna it's do a, a big event work. it's too much to do by yourself so i had an event where i thought it was gonna be amazing it was at the rc cola plant it was like we yeah. got got a we had the like a festival set up like i thought it was gonna be great uh, it was Art Basel weekend and total bomb of an event. We had like 50, 50, not even 100 people there. And it was a huge space. It was like uncomfortable. Hmm. And, um, you know, at the time, Joanne had been coming to like all the Dude Skywalker shows. And like, you know, she had told me like that, you know, her dream was to, to start a festival. And I'm like, well, hey, like, look, you know, you want to start a festival. I think the 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 obvious step to to getting to doing a festival would be, you know, doing these big events. Yeah. And uh, I told her like, what I need the most help with is, you know, mischief makers. Like we need, we need a community. Like this is not going to work. If, even if it's just me and you, it needs to be the people putting it together for the people, you know, like at the end of the day, like most of what we do, yeah, we do operational stuff, but our stuff is more like strategic vision. Where do we want to do these events? Who do we want to partner with? And all of that but like the execution comes down to the team you know so she did an amazing job putting together a team um and like really spearheading that like the community building part of it um and we worked very well like you know i'm more of like a i i could be a type a but i'm really leaning more towards type b and she's a type a so like we balance each other very well in that and like we each have our own strengths and weaknesses and it's just been like, uh, like, you know, the cliche magical teamwork, you know, yeah. and like we've done some like really surreal stuff together where it's like, holy shit, like, wow, we just did that, <laughs> you know, um, and it's been fun. And as things get bigger and, and, and more successful, it becomes more fun and it doesn't come without its challenges. Like we've had events where we the event went great but it came with like a crazy amount of stress and you know moments where it's like okay like we have to rethink how we're operating and all of that but um you know daybreaker has turned into one of like the coolest things i've ever done in my life in terms of ongoing body of work you know yeah and it's kind of going back to like you know this whole purpose thing like daybreakers where you really see the impact of that that a dance party has yeah. on people 
and like you know every single event someone's brought to tears and it's like tears of joy you know like they're not like tears of sadness and i've got um, goosebumps just thinking about it <laughs> well, and the other thing as well is that because it's during the day and alcohol and drug free like you're saying that you know people are enjoying it it's not just because they've drank three tequilas or whatever like you know they genuinely actually really enjoy it and they're just dancing because they're just having fun and it's not because they've done do you know what i mean like drugs and alcohol and things it's just like incredible yeah. it was one of the best things for us about miami like meeting right. everyone going to those events it really kind of brought me out of my shell a whole lot and <laughs> helped me so much in so many different ways i don't think i told you this but thank you for everything that you and john have done honestly it was just incredible for both of us and for everyone who goes I'm oh sure. yeah i mean our experience in miami without daybreaker I, i don't even know if we would have stayed that long no honestly yeah because we We met so many people through that as well. That and you guys were, I mean, you know, the all so like the all stars. Honestly, you know, <laughs> we had our core, we have our core all stars, and thank you guys for for everything that you've done. And I don't think it's over. You know, like that. Nope. There's always, there's always, there's always going to be more parties. Yeah. Maybe you guys can do stuff in Europe. You know. Um, it's and it's it's like um, it's really been a a a. a a blessing and again one of those things of juxtaposing you know the light life with with this wholesome experience and i feel like i'm being very real with what my passions are with daybreaker you know mm-hmm. and and i'm surrounded by people who are very passionate about what they do and especially like i'm i'm fascinated every time i see someone lead a fitness class like you know jeremy is crazy you know like with like the mm. way he motivates people yeah. and everyone has their has their their chance to shine on their platform and and with daybreaker it's cool because i feel like it's just normal people who are looking for a wholesome time like there's no there's not like we're not like over overselling like spiritualness or or any of yeah. that kind of stuff and like <laughs> we're not like telling people to live completely vanilla lives or anything like that it's more like let's get together and have a wholesome time and you know everyone is just do whatever they want to do you know yeah that's a good point and even the even the meditation at the end is all about bringing people together at the end to just express gratitude about what just happened it's it's not like you said about some woohoo bullshit that maybe half of the people would not believe in or whatever it's just about like thank you for the moment in a sense yeah yeah and mm-hmm. And I, I actually really appreciate that. Um, and I think that that's what differentiates us from other experiences that that might try to try to do similar mm-hmm. stuff where they go very they go very deep in that direction where we're more like let's have fun and dress up and be playful and act like kids and you know yeah. it's it's not a, it's not that big of a deal. It's know, very well balanced. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, don't take yourself too seriously. Just have fun, be yourself, and and that's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How it, it's really interesting because I I think um, a lot of people have this image of you know DJ and festival and nightclub being all about drugs, alcohol, and girls. and <laughs> girls, and I don't know like kind of negative vibe. Uh, I mean, I I love going to festival and. People don't get that I enjoy festivals without taking anything. I just like it, <laughs> like that's it. And it's actually interesting. Like most of the time, at the like the biggest the festival, the less I drink, because I actually want to really 
don't miss anything. I want to be like 100% there. Uh, and a lot of people don't get that. Uh, it's it's always I find it really interesting. Um, like from and and you are on both sides. Like you are on uh, night life in Miami. You know, like party time, party town, like spring break, everything. And you have the light with daybreaker, like drug, alcohol free day party. It's 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 really interesting that you are involved in both of them. Yeah, and for me, Antonio, it really. Um... It really brought balance, you know, it really brought a, cr a crazy amount of balance and kind of refocused it for me and, and opened up so many opportunities and to work with so, such cool people, you know, like the people who organize Daybreaker around the world are some of the coolest people you ever meet yeah. and they're, they're doers, you know, they make, they make shit happen. And um, it's honestly been a privilege to work with them and I can't wait to see what's going on next because every the whole world is opening up for daybreaker and it's going to be some really cool stuff going on and when you say that daybreaker help balance everything like do you think if you would have stayed in the in a night life only um like do you get trapped into like the whole shit that we imagine in a nightlife um well it's just the nightlife can be like very overwhelming. It could be like a, like a very vicious cycle as well. And, and it could be, you know, um, a trap, a trap. Like there's a lot of DJs who, who get into the lifestyle and, um, they, over the years, it's not sustainable and they yeah. end up burning out, you know, and it's, it's a risk factor, you know, like the, I would say the biggest one is the circadian rhythm, you know, like forget the drugs and alcohol just the lack of sleep is the first one that'll screw you um but then you factor in the drinking and you know the access to drugs and the the partying like with with the women that you're talking about rosie like that's all <laughs> that 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 temptation will always be there um you know so you gotta have your head right you know if not um if you're weak-minded you will succumb to all of it hmm. yeah um, how has the past 18 months been for you? I mean, obviously you live in Miami, so things somewhat closed down for a little while. And I know you're very lucky to be there because I think a lot of the world kind of really shut down and it would have been pretty impossible for a DJ to survive this past 18 months. But how has it been for you in terms of slowing down a little bit and having, I'm guessing, more time off? Maybe I'm wrong, I don't know. Well, so it's interesting. Right when the lockdown happened... Uh, I switched to like studio production mode. I had a lot of music that I didn't have a, t a chance to finish because I was just my all my bandwidth was on events, you know. Yeah. Um, and then I got was fortunate enough to get um, commissioned to do like a fitness album for for an app, and and uh, I wanted to do the whole part of it. I wanted to do the the composition, arrangement, mixing, mastering. And the mixing and mastering part, I wasn't that that great at. And um, I basically gave myself a boot camp, and I finished like twelve songs in a month. And I mean, I was fried by the end of it, but <laughs> I, but I learned I learned so much. I became much better, and um, it forced me to upgrade my computer equipment. Like uh, there was a lot of things that were lagging that I didn't update, and. Um, I came out of the, the lockdown like a much better music producer and now with a whole catalog of music ready to release. And so now that, that 
that allowed us Alex and I to like take our, our label deep Laya and like really prepare it for co- consistent release schedule, you know, hmm. uh, which we're getting ready to do now. So, um, but then in October, the lockdown lifted and we had no curfew and it was a free for all. And like our Halloween <laughs> party was insane, you know, and that's when I, that's honestly when I realized that a lot of this lockdown stuff for Miami, at least was going to be kind of like, you know, for lack of a better word, bullshit, because we kind of became the, like, you guys ever use a, pre- you guys ever use a pressure cooker? Yeah. yeah. You, know? <laughs> you know how, you know how there's like a release valve? Yeah. yeah. My, Miami was a release valve. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. So we're just, Miami's just like, the whole world's on lockdown, all this pressure, and Miami's just like, psh, popping off, uh, you know? So it's, I mean, and like, um, all right, so have you ever heard of like free economics or like disaster economics? Yeah. Right. Like, I find it to be a very fascinating time period in well hospitality and also nightlife and just in general with like just seeing how we had the the, the lockdown came out, we were able to open till five, the clubs got immediately slammed, and then the city said, well, now actually we're shutting everyone down at midnight. So what happened? boom warehouse scene popped up like you've never seen in your life like you know how they talk about like detroit new york chicago warehouse era like la like miami had that time period Mm -hmm. right now like they should have been recording a documentary this entire time because it was insane like we we had the phenomenon of being sustained by domestic demand, not just local, but like all the Californians, all the New Yorkers, everyone from Chicago, everyone who didn't want to be in a lockdown area came to Miami. Yeah. So, and and we, we basically like, we had, we are the center of the, the, the new Renaissance. I say, I think I really believe that we're experiencing a Renaissance right now. And Miami, like, trailblazed that. Like, we pioneered. Like, we took all the all the shit talking for, from everyone. You know, I literally ended up on a meme. I was on a meme. And I had, like, really? friends, friends, uh, friends from, like, New York are sharing this thing. And it's, like, pictures. Like, like it was, like, Rome, Spain, like, UK, and then Miami. And, like, all those places are on lockdown. And then Miami had, like, a festival, had, like, a party flyer. And then, like... My friends are like, dude, Skywalker for mayor. <laughs> and like, That's quite yeah, a life achievement. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we made it. We made it on a meme, and like, <laughs> you know, like, and but at the end of the day, like, it was kind of weird and bizarre to be the bad guy. You know, yeah. like we were the bad people. We were the super spreaders. You know, yeah. like, um, but someone's got to do it. You know, at the end of the day, go look at the statistics. How many young people killed themselves? You know, how many young people fell into depression? Hmm. You know, and at the end of the day, like, uh, without going too too deep in the, into ideology or anything, but like, we have the freedom to assemble. When did that go away? You know, yeah. yeah. And like, when when it's my life to bring people together, like, and everyone wants to come together, like, let's do it. You know, and if you're sick, stay home. But party continues and it did continue and it continued in a way that was unbelievable. Like I'm talking about like people were paying $250 at four in the morning to get into a warehouse in Little Haiti, you know, wow. like, like crazy, crazy yeah. stuff. 
Yeah. And the market is still the market is still correcting from that. Yeah. Like the the the, the admission to get into clubs is a little bit more expensive and yeah. And it's and we'll see what happens now that that everyone is opening up at once, New York, California and all of that. Um because once those people, I think at least 25% or so of those people plus or minus will stay in Miami, but mm. when they leave international should start coming in and then Miami's not going to really experience a break at least I don't think so I think yeah. it's just going to be like the place to go you know yeah. so we'll see we'll no, see yeah, how it plays yeah. out yeah um can you tell us a little bit about when people think DJ they think about the performance that's what we see uh, but you've been talking about creating music like for, for most people electric ele electronic music is not music you know it's just computer thing like you don't people don't think when you tell people like i'm creating a song or composing a song like they don't think about electronic music uh, also you mentioned that you have a label uh, can you tell us about all this part of the, the the thing that we don't see usually yeah so uh you know more and more the world is going at least the music world is going towards like you know the independent artists and um a few years ago alex and i started our label deep playa and we put out some music but um our attention quickly shifted to the events and we were doing events as deep playa um so the record label it's a whole nother monster it's basically another brand it's another um, um entire production that you have to worry about um and it's beneficial to a lot of big djs will have their own label once yeah. they've reached a certain level of like having friends that make amazing music you know and like getting that having the content to release and the expertise and knowing how to properly market a song and get it on the charts and you know get it on spotify playlists and that mm. whole that whole world um so i I don't think it's completely necessary for a DJ to have their own label, but I do think that for nowadays, if you're a DJ and you really want to break through, you need to learn how to make your own music. Mm. Um, and that is a, no, a whole nother monster. Um, in fact, I know some DJs in the city that they're very good producers, but they don't know the art of DJing. Mm. Like it, there's a, it's a whole nother thing. Yeah, it's another job. Computer. It's another job. It's, it, it's it's a whole it's one thing to sit in front of a computer and make music like create music or write a melody or whatever and it's another to get in front of hundreds of people and make them dance two different things um but if you're good at both then you can really excel hmm. you know and um that's kind of where we're at in our career where we've been making music for a while we've i feel like we've sharpened the knife so to speak uh on the performance side where like if you put us on any in any club with any djs we'll be able to make it work yeah um so now it's just a matter of getting our name out there and really the only way to do it is by releasing on a big label or releasing on yourself on your own and trying to make it so we're kind of doing a combination of the boat of two you know because you don't need to only release on your own label but yeah because we have the marketing experience because we have the network and mm. because a lot of our friends spend a lot of time making music and they have they're sitting on music uh we feel like now is the time to like really grow our brand you know so 
That's amazing. Yeah, so do, do, do you think in uh, maybe not the near future, but more like in a long term, you're going to be focusing more energy on now rather than the events? Um, I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not gonna say like you're getting old and you have enough of <laughs> DJing until 5 a.m. <laughs> no, they, they honestly they feed each other. They feed each okay. other. Um, so I don't see events going away. I think events will always be like our bread and butter, like of how we make our living, either organizing okay. our own event or DJing events. But um, the label is another one of those things with there's no end in sight. Like um, we're setting it up right now so that like we can just keep feeding it music and we'll see where we're at in 10 years. You know, yeah. we'll see if you, hit, you make some hit records and the next thing you know, like world tour, you know, or one of our artists makes a hit record yeah, and our <laughs> label gets big, you know, so we'll see how that works. Yeah. Out. You never know. You just need one. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. You know. Before we talk about paramotoring, yeah. which I know is what you're going to talk about, you said you have a twin brother. Yeah, I have an I've always wanted to talk to a twin. I didn't know you had a twin. Yeah. I have questions. It's going to... You came to a few. Yeah. <laughs> I just didn't, I didn't know they could make the connection. Okay, so I have some questions. I know it's like super random. Okay. But like, do you have that twin thing that people talk about where you can, like if he's in pain, you feel pain? Or do you know what each other's thinking? Or you can finish their sentences? Like, how, What's your connection like? Yeah, so everyone talks about like, oh, do you have twin powers? And the, <laughs> yeah. the best way, the best way that I can describe it is like, okay, and I'm sure you have something similar with Jeremy or like a best friend, where like eighty percent or so um, of human communication is nonverbal, mm -hmm. right? So like, imagine having like the most enhanced nonverbal communication you could possibly have with someone, where like. You don't even need to talk to each other, but you could both be experiencing the same thing and you'll know exactly what the other person is thinking yeah. like that. And like, uh, so we, we, we have that and, and like, we can read each other very well and we don't need to talk in order to like send a message per se. And, and I think that also translates to, um, being able to read other people too. Mm. Like, I feel like I can read the average person better than they can read me yeah if that makes any sense mm -hmm. um and it also makes it kind of interesting in like social situations where like i could kind of tell how someone feels and what they're thinking even if they're not really trying to convey that to me mm -hmm. so um it helps it's a, it, it really is a some sort of superpower Um, and I'm sure that other people that don't have twins can do similar stuff, but, uh, it's like to have that with another human being, it, it's like, it's like, we got to practice that our whole life. You know, my mom said that growing up, we had our own language, which was, I was going to ask you about growing up in terms of like, yeah, having your own language and also a competition or, you know how like brothers tend to fight anyway, but yeah. especially being the same age, was there a lot of competition in terms of who's better or who's faster getting we're, girls we're, well, <laughs> that's more older but yeah i don't know we are hyper competitive people i would say yeah. that yeah like um i growing up like i remember having making my mom like make sure that the orange juice was the same level at yeah. breakfast, you know, like, <laughs> like that you know 
So I feel like, like siblings are like that anyway, but I feel like with twins, it must be double because you're literally the same age. So you want to make sure you're eating the same thing and wearing the same thing and get the same amount of attention and every like, yeah. yeah I can imagine so it's just like siblings, but on a, another level. It's translated like as adults, like where we're both very competitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say healthy competition, not, not um, like competition that like sabotages things. Yeah. Yeah, but um, I like like we both strive for excellence and we both hold each other accountable and like my twin brother like it's interesting because like I went the the music and nightlife route and my brother went uh, with sailing and coaching mm. and like he coaches Team USA youth sailors you know wow like so like he it's been interesting like we both kind of like excelled in our in our verticals. Um, and, and I think a big part of it is the competitive nature. And like with my brother, I see it even more because he's instilling that competitiveness that he has in his, in his sailors, you know? And when those kids pick that up, they're like lethal on the, on the court, on the, on the race course, you know, like you're in it to win it. Like we, like, don't get it twisted. We're we're racing (laughs) because we're racing because we want to win and be first place. Yeah. Uh, uh, Yeah. No, we're not. We don't come from the like. Oh, you get a participation award. Yeah. Oh, I don't. I don't. No. I've never got this thing. No, 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 no. Sorry, you lost. Yeah. <laughs> and you see that feeling that you have of how much it sucks that you're losing. Well, how about next time you win and then you'll feel better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't get that, right? I don't get that. I'm very. I was very much brought up with like, well, it's the taking part that counts. At least you did your best. Because I never won anything anyway, and I'm oh, also yeah. not particularly competitive. I'm quite oh, happy yeah, not, not winning. So it was always like, well, doesn't matter. Yeah. I never really had that like, I have to win thing. But... When like whatever. I mean, it's okay to not win, but uh, and like you know, it's it's it's, a, it's an important lesson to learn how to lose, but. But if I can kick uh, your I, ass, it's better. I learned that lesson very well. I learned how yeah. to lose very well, with two brothers especially. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any other siblings, or is it just you and your brother? Yeah, I actually have, um, we're, I have three older brothers, two younger brothers, and a baby sister. Well, she's not a baby anymore, but yeah, so there's, <laughs> we're, we're seven boys and one, one sister. Oh, wow. Wow, that's a lot of yeah. boys. My dad's yeah. been married several times. So. Okay. But at least your little sister is well looked after with seven brothers. I was going to say, she's safe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she's never getting married. She's never having a boyfriend. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a lot of step to get approved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, now you can ask about. All right. Yeah, let's change topic. Um, oh, I need to bring up Mamacita. And I've got to say that. So, okay. Mamacita is your little doggy, your little chihuahua. Um, she's gorgeous. Yeah. She went for photo shoot yeah she's she my model <laughs> i've got to say i've got to say that I, you know you've got the cliche of the manly dj being super cool in miami you would not picture a little cute <laughs> <laughs> chihuahua how did you pick her so or did um, she pick you no nah, she she i guess she picked us so like um my my girlfriend Marielle, she wanted a, a dog for a long time, and and I was like, no, 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 and like she was just showing me all these photos of dogs, and then all this like one day she comes up and she's like, look at this dog, and it was like a tiny, tiny, like Doberman looking Chihuahua, but it was like standing next to like a teddy bear honey bottle, 
and mamacita was smaller than the honey bottle and i was like oh wow like that dog is sick and uh we ended up driving all the way to fort myers to go pick her Mm. up and you know she just turned out to be like a little angel dog like her temperament is amazing like she's not afraid of people and at the time when we got her i was doing a weekly uh in winwood at the diner so like we socialized her like crazy Mm -hmm. and she's grown up to like really be like Kunal calls her a a, 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 a bodhisattva, which is like uh, like she's here to teach us what it's like to be like you know kind of holy, and um, she, I say that she's like a bundle of joy. Anyone that you give her to, like they just get charged with 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 joy and happiness. Like it's impossible to hold her and not not be happy. <laughs> and I'm sure everyone who's listening to this probably says the same about their dogs. But if yeah. you met Mama. If you met Mama Sita, you would understand. Like, uh, she's special. She's a special dog. So I, I do remember. Now you you mentioned uh, Kunal about some meditation uh, he hosted at the Faina, <laughs> and and we did this exercise where we had to close our eyes and think about someone that you know when when you see this person <laughs> slash. Uh, <laughs> animal uh just brings you joy and 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 love and everything and And i remember that kunal was saying i always think about mamacita in this case (laughs) (laughs) and also that was super cute it's impossible impossible to to not look at her and (laughs) smile all right last topic paramotoring uh you got into this hobby a few months ago like one year ago much. yeah like uh, almost actually it's like probably yeah. a year to this week i think i went in june of last year or july and yeah, you're having fun with it yeah it what? looks Honestly, amazing what it's... got you started like i think was, was it a friend that did it and well so i've always always wanted to be a pilot like my whole life i wanted to be a pilot at one point i wanted to be an astronaut and then i was like ah you know what i'm gonna go to business school and i'll buy my way into space instead of <laughs> instead you of can like do it <laughs> Instead of like trying to be a scientist and get up there, um, which actually it's looking like it, it might. Yeah, be it's coming. Yeah, it's. It it's... Might, <laughs> might have been the right the right path. Yeah. Um, so, um, always want to be a pilot, and I had my friend Ben, um, who was like on a motorcycle trip from California all the way to the south of um, like Argentina, and um, at the end of his trip, he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna go back and." I've, I discovered this thing, paramotoring. I didn't really think anything of it. And then like a couple of weeks later, I get a YouTube recommendation. And there's this guy who like paramotors to McDonald's. And I was like, damn, <laughs> like you could just, I was like, you could just do it like that. Like you could just rip it from your backyard and fly. And Ben was like, yeah, I can do like, I'm going to go to training. I try to line up training with him, but his instructor couldn't, didn't have the gear for me. So. I did some research and I found this like really, really awesome instructor in Louisiana. And at the time it was, uh, it was just like, everything was, was perfect timing. I had just finished that album that I was working on. And mm. I told you, I was like, my brain was fried. I was exhausted of like literally up till 6 AM every day. And the lockdown didn't look like it was ending anytime soon. And I was like, you know what? Like, I'm just going to go and, spend you know two weeks in louisiana and just immerse myself in this and see if i can learn how to fly so i went to louisiana and on the second day the guy got me in the air and i was flying around by myself and 
I can't, it's hard to explain the feeling when you're like piloting by yourself and then even harder to explain when you're piloting by yourself and you're like completely exposed to the elements, like mm -hmm. a, literally like a bird. Um, and with paramotoring, like your arms are kind of like attached to the brake lines and it's almost like an extension of your nervous system, like the way mm. you're feeling, the way you feel the, the wing. Um, so, I mean, coolest thing I've probably ever done in my life and I'm still very fresh and new, but uh, my goal is to fly as much as I can and get better and better because, you know, the better you get, the funner it becomes. Um, and honestly, like, I don't think I've ever felt as close to Mother Nature than my first time flying mm -hmm. above the clouds. Like, it's like, um, you know how they talk about, like, astronauts get, like, an overview effect when yeah. they first see the Earth, mm -hmm. right? And, like, I think that we don't get that as much when we're on, like, on a plane, like a commercial airliner, and, like, you've relinquished control to the pilot, you know? Yeah. But when, when you are in control of your own destiny and, and you are the one who's, like you know got yourself flying and you're the one who pressed the gas it's like uh it's a crazy experience and and again like i've never been as close to mother nature than flying and it's just like uh i mean you're into drones imagine if you were <laughs> if you could see what your drone, drone sees yeah exactly i was yeah. gonna yeah. mention that though what's crazy is that jeremy needs a, a license to fly a drone but you don't need a license to fly yourself like <laughs> You're a lot bigger than the drone. <laughs> like, yeah. how does that make any sense? Yeah, well. Well, uh, the thing is, like, it, it just all has to do with airspace. Like, some airspace, um, you could do whatever you want. Some airspace is more controlled. So, um, like, for example, in Louisiana, where I train, I can go up super high and do whatever I want. Like, I can go up above 10,000 feet, and, like, no problem. And then here, it's holy like, shit, ten thousand feet—that's high. <laughs> that's high. People do skydiving from that high, right? Yeah. After after ten thousand, you kind of need oxygen, but legally, you're allowed to go to eighteen thousand. So, I like in training, I went over six, which is like a mile. So I went a mile up. I was freezing, like freezing, <laughs> and then I was like, "All right, time to come down." Um, and Whoa. Then, but on the beach, for example, here on the beach, you can only go like fifteen hundred feet. As you get closer, as you get closer to Fort Lauderdale, you can go to like three thousand. Um, so it really depends where you're flying. Miami but is such a beautiful, a, beautiful place for that. I mean, Miami is ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. And like, there's some, um, there's some, uh, like, there's nothing, there's nothing like a paramotor if you want to fly that like is as as accessible in terms of like cost to get in and and ease of flying like i don't need to go to an airport i just need a park or an open field and mm. you know ready to go so, is it something you can travel with or i guess would you just rent one if you go somewhere like what's the what would yeah you intend so they 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 sell different models i actually got one with a travel cage so it breaks down so basically i would just take all the gas out of my engine and put the engine in a in like a like a like a pelican case kind of thing mm -hmm. and the cage fits in a in a duffel bag kind of thing oh, wow. and that's it and you just check it in and fly wherever you want and then so there are places where you can rent them too um i know they do like cool tours where you can fly over the pyramids and stuff like wow. that's on my bucket list but there's 
there's a lot of cool stuff you can do. It's not, I mean, you, there's, it's a process, but yes, you could travel. Where's the place you would like to fly? One. The, the place I would like to fly? Man, that's a great question. Um, honestly, everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> but, but like, like right now, I think there's some really cool flying uh, out west, like Moab, you know, Utah, the canyons, like all that is like epic. You know? Can you fly in national parks? Yeah, you can, but there's certain oh. height restrictions. There's so certain height restrictions, so that would be sick. You have to fly like a certain certain height over, so you don't disturb whatever's yeah. below. But yeah, yeah. Wow, Burning Man. I would like to fly a Burning Man for sure. My God. Yeah. That's so cool. That is, I mean, yeah, it, it does look stunning, and I can't even imagine the the, the feeling. Like you said, like it, it seems pretty accessible. Um, and I mean, it's as close as you get to flying by yourself. I mean, you, you, you can feel the wind, you know, you're not locked into a cabin or whatever. You can feel it. Uh, yeah. In fact, a so lot it's... of the, a lot of the pilots, um, are, I would say, I would say they're in their mid to late forties and they are fixed wing pilots mm -hmm. that wanted a more real experience because when you're piloting a fixed wing and you're in the cabin, like you're not really yeah, it's not like, the same. It's, it's not the same being in yeah. a capsule than being like completely open, you know. Yeah. And it still is piloting. It's you're still following, you know, FAA rules and whatnot. So it's yeah. it's like, but but it's like riding a motorcycle, you know. Same kind of cost to get in, and if you're gonna get a performance bike, you might as well get training, you know. Yeah. <laughs> very, very similar, and it's not not as dangerous as a motorcycle. Mm. Like I actually yeah. think like riding my my road bike like my single speed road bike it, down the streets of Miami is probably more dangerous than paramotoring. Yeah. You know, because you don't really go that fast. You go like 30, 35, you know. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> Especially when you see how people drive in Miami. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They are crazy. Uh, and I forgot there was before about, about DJing. Uh, when you were younger, who was your favorite DJ? And now, if you have one, uh, who's your favorite DJ? Uh, good question. Um, I don't know if I, if I, when I was younger, if I had a favorite DJ, I would say my, the first DJ that like really inspired me before I was even a full DJ was um, Girl Talk. I don't know if you've heard of Girl Talk, no. but um, I saw him in a concert in Tallahassee and um he's like he specializes in mashing up hip-hop tracks and so it was like a even though i'm not a hip-hop dj it was the first time i ever saw a dj like he like he got on stage and he said let everyone get up on here and dance with me so that was the first time that i saw like a dj turn the stage into a party right and that was that is very influential for me because even to this day like i like I invite all my friends to be around us and be behind us. And like, it's a, it's a thing to be partying in the booth, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that like the energy, like the crowd control, that was the first time I, I was like, wow, that DJ like really killed it. Um, so girl talk would be the first one. And then the next time that something like that happened to me was at burning man where I saw, uh, this guy scum frog, 
at Robo Heart, and I had never even been to Robo Heart. Robo Heart, if for those of you who don't know, it's like one of the first major sound cars at Burning Man, where they're like it's basically a rave on wheels, and and it's like a ridiculous sound system, and they're known for like sunrise sets and whatever. And mm -hmm. this guy every year would get his sunrise set, but I had no idea who he was. I was like very naive, and I just like rode out there because oh, I heard it's gonna be good, whatever. I get out there, and I just here first of all like one of like the most tasteful and technically perfect sets i've ever heard in my life i'll share it with you guys uh, after this so you can hear it yeah um and i was and then i just see him up there like the sun's coming up in the desert and i'm like wow this guy's like really having like a crazy moment of self-actualization and at the time i had already been a resident at, at bardo in miami and like thinking that like oh like you know like we're good djs and I'm playing at the best club in Miami, and I know I know what I I know how to DJ yeah. and all this shit. And it was kind of a very humbling experience to see someone command such a massive rave, sunrise mm. in the desert, like just like holy shit. And I I just remember telling myself in the moment like, there's the bar right there. Like right. if you want to call if you want to call yourself a good DJ, you have yeah. to hit that mark right there. And um, you know, I think ever since that moment, I've strived to be that good and that world and be considered that world class. And I think, you know, we've cut, we're kind of reaching that point where I actually organized a rave with Scumfrog two years ago in mm -hmm. Cuba. I took him to Cuba and organized a party in, in like in a fort from the 1600s. Wow. <laughs> and, I, and I brought, and I, it was me and Scumfrog and my boy Ben, like the three of us in Havana on the Malecon, like. Like cool. full on, full on boiler room, like <laughs> like hot boxed fort from the 1600s with the cannons and everything. It was crazy. <laughs> uh, so yeah, and then the final DJ I would say would be like um, Maceo Plex, probably like in terms of um, of uh, you know just like he's from Miami, Cuban background. His productions are next level, um, and just seeing um seeing him live at ultra mm -hmm. one year and he played a song that kind of like this crazy riser siren just like Near! and i remember like turning to alex and being like holy shit <laughs> like this guy just blew my mind and um yeah that was another one of those moments where like that guy is next level yeah and um yeah i would say those are my top three like DJs that I DJs or DJ moments that I looked up to. Yeah. There's other ones that I really appreciate, like Solomon and Dixon. Like, you know, Tennis is another one that like these guys all they're all pros. You know. Yeah, but those had an impact on your career. It's yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, kind of sticking on the theme of talking about other people, we always ask a question at the end. If you could speak to anybody dead or alive, famous or not, just anybody from ever. <laughs> and have a conversation with them and ask them questions who would it be and why like who's the most interesting person hmm that's a good one <laughs> who would i talk to anyone dead or alive anyone yeah can be famous or not well i mean other than my family members i'm going to exclude them because i would yeah. love to talk to my family members 
But someone, I'm going to go with someone dead just because it'd be cool to talk to someone who's not around anymore. Um, I would probably want to talk to maybe Lincoln mm. could be a good one to talk to. Lincoln. Just because the, he was such a, like a, he dealt with such a monumental time period in in history where I guess he like, I mean, and if not Lincoln, I don't know, maybe Einstein. Mm. So, and your family? Because, uh, and my family, my yeah. parents, my, my brothers, all of them. We would have like a, we would have a, a group, a group <laughs> chat. <laughs> We'd have a group chat. I'm asking because Rosie always says that she would love to have a chat with her grandfather that she never met. So I was wondering That's if it was anyone like that. Well, okay. So dead family members that I've never talked to. Yeah. I mean, I've never met my mom's father. Mm-hmm. He was, but he was a communist. So I would like to get some input on that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I mean, it would be cool. Honestly, and maybe someone I don't even know down the lineage. Like, imagine if you could trace. Yeah. Imagine if you could trace your your bloodline and like find like your your tribal ancestor, like going all the way back. You know what I mean? <laughs> that would be crazy. I would like to talk. Yeah. I would like to talk to them yeah. and get their advice. You know? Yeah. <laughs> good answer. You gave us a lot, but there was a good answer. <laughs> You've got a lot of options if you ever get the choice. <laughs> Um, the chance, sorry. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for sharing everything with us. Do you have yeah. any other questions, Jeremy? No, thank you. Um, if people wants to see what you do, listen to your music, uh, get in touch with you, what's the best way to find you? All right. Well, you can follow me on dude Skywalker underscore on Instagram and also up real high, which is my paramotoring adventures. So mm-hmm. you can also follow the label Deep Playa Music. And um, yeah, those are and the three. To listen ones. to your music, SoundCloud. To listen to my mu- to listen to my music on SoundCloud. We're also on Spotify and YouTube. Um, SoundCloud and YouTube, you can hear some songs that Spotify doesn't let us really publish. Mm. So if you want to hear like remixes and stuff like that, they're on YouTube. Okay. Um, and yeah, expect more. We're gonna be releasing a lot more. And you know, if you ever want to reach out, don't feel afraid to reach out. <laughs> Well, oh, actually, one last question. Why Dude Skywalker? Why Dude Skywalker? <laughs> well, it was during a time that we that Daft Punk was like really popular. Yeah. And there were three of us when we made our first song and we wanted to get it out on a blog. And we're like, I remember my friend Sam being like, hey, like we should make it sound singular. And um, we were when we made our first song, we had Skywalker OG. Right, and we were in the studio like smoking Skywalker OG, and we we're like, "Dude, what about Skywalker?" <laughs> and I like, and then I did the 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 marketing thing, and I checked if the .dot com was available. Dude, Skywalker .dot com was available, and like immediately, it was literally like a four minute yeah. thing. <laughs> it was like four minutes of dumb luck because everyone <laughs> likes everyone likes the name. You know, I'm sure some people hate it, but for it's like overwhelmingly people like the name. Yeah. Um, and they're like, oh, are you named after Star Wars? And it's yeah. like, no, we're, we're named after weed that's named after Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Cool. So, 
Thank you, it's Fabio. Thank, Thank you, you guys, so man. much, Fabio, for sharing everything. Uh, it was really interesting to know more about, you know, everything we don't see and yeah. understand the process and, and, and everything coming with it. Um, best of luck with the music, the produce, creating music, producing music, Daybreaker, everything. Have fun. Enjoy it for us in Miami. Yeah. And th thank you. <laughs> thank you guys and and congratulations on your growth, on your move and and progressing and everything that's going on. I'm sure you guys are going to keep killing it. Yeah. <laughs> and thank I, you. I hope we can I hope we can link up maybe in Europe, you know, soon. I'm yeah. sure we will. We'll find a I'm way. Trying to, I'm trying to set up that Euro tour so <laughs> yes, make, that'd let's be make awesome. it happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, much well, love to you guys, all right? You too. Thank you so much. And everybody listening, we really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, feel free to share it with somebody else who might also want to listen to this. Go and follow um, Fabio on Instagram. Go and say hello. Go and listen to some music. And we'll be back next Wednesday with a brand new episode. Bye. Bye. <laughs>